This is the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have a regular from North Shore Vineyard, one of the members of our teaching team, Penny Murray. She is sharing a very timely message with us on this Sunday called Lord of Compassion. I'm a little late with getting this on the podcast as this happened last Sunday when I was out of town. But in light of events that began to come to the light that Sunday morning with the shootings in Orlando, this is a particularly timely message. So let's go ahead and head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church in downtown Covington. Thanks so much for listening. a lot the past month, and I am, I'm really excited just to be here with you guys. I've, I've missed you, and I get to teach, so yeah, there's, there's that too. We are going to be looking at a passage from the Gospel of Luke today, if you want to follow along with me. It should be, it is, it's on the front of your handout, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her, and he said to her, Do not weep. And he came forward touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorable on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. So in this story, we have this collision of parades. On one side, we have Jesus. He's walking into town, and he's followed by a crowd. There's this growing movement that's been building around Jesus. And there's this charge. It's an energy. It's this life force that's pulsing through the crowd. It's a growing excitement and enthusiasm surrounding Jesus. But on the other side, we have a very different parade. This is not a parade of life and hope. This is a dead man being carried out of the town, followed by his mother. Now, this woman has already watched her husband be lowered into the grave. And today, she's going to bury her only son. And when these two parades collide, Something incredible happens. Jesus comes up to this woman. He reaches out and he touches her son and he raises him from the dead and hands him back to his mother. 
And when everyone saw this, they were blown away at this spectacular display of God's power and love that flows through Jesus. But as I sit with this miraculous story of God bringing life out of death, I find myself thinking of a very different story. When I was a child, one night my family went to bed, but we didn't all wake up the next morning. I can remember my mom coming into my room to let me know that my infant brother had stopped breathing while in his crib the night before. And this was so shocking and unexpected for my family. And we were given no, no answer as to why or how this happened. A few years later, there was a family that was part of the church I grew up in, and they were facing their own nightmare. They had a son who fell into a swimming pool. And he was discovered just moments too late. And he was rushed to the hospital and put on a ventilator to keep him breathing. And the community around this family began to pray. And I can remember thinking, just from the deepest part of my being, there's no way this tragedy is God's will. And so I I prayed. I prayed that God would reach out and touch this child, that he would be raised up, and that he would be handed back to his mother. And a week later, this boy was taken off life support, and we began the process of planning his funeral. And I was absolutely devastated. I tell you this story, this other story, because we all have them. We all have stories of suffering and of loss, and of heartache, and sometimes we pray, and the surgery works, and the marriage is saved, and the child wakes up, and the job offer comes, and we celebrate the Spirit of God and his presence in those stories. But sometimes, no matter how much we pray, the doctors are not able to do anything. And the marriage ends in divorce, and we bury the child, and the financial struggles continue to mount. And we ask, where do we find God in these stories? When we suffer, we find ourselves asking, why? Why is it that on this side of the room, we pray, and something amazing happens? And we get what we hoped for. But on this other side of the room, we pray, and the outcome is left tragic. And the answer I don't know. People of faith have been wrestling with the why, have been debating all of the different ways that we can approach the questions around suffering for thousands of years. And what I found is that often it's religious people who are the most uncomfortable with the questions around suffering. We tend to just want to shut down the dialogue as quickly as possible because, you know, we would hate to offend God's fragile ego. But what I find 
the most fascinating about the scriptures is it's filled with stories of loss, of grief, of tragedy, of suffering, and it's filled with prayers asking why, asking God, where are you? Are you asleep on the job? Do you see what's going on here? Do you hear us? The Bible seems quite comfortable making space for these questions, a lot more comfortable with that than giving definitive answers to these questions. But there is a question I do want to explore today. And I want us to hold this story that we read from the Gospel of Luke in the background. I want to ask, where is God when we're suffering? But to do that, we need to talk about a few different ways that we think of God in the midst of suffering. Now, growing up in church, I was taught to think of God kind of like a superhero. Did anybody else get this? I know Faith sang me this lovely song the other day. Yeah, I was, no, you're not going to fall for that, are you? Yeah, I was going to ask Faith to come up here about how, you know, God is greater than Superman and don't look for Batman to save the day. Yeah, all you needed to do is have faith in this God and believe, and God, at the very last moment, is going to just burst through the wall. He's going to swoop in. He's going to pick us up and take our suffering away. If you believe and have faith. And if things do not turn out all happy-clappy at the end, well, then you just didn't have enough faith. Now, we may buy into this picture of God for a while, but the problem is at some point, something in your life comes along, something tragic, that directly confronts this picture of God. Now, for other people... Uh, Many people, in fact, see God as distant and detached and unmoved. God's off somewhere else, high above, just looking down at us earthlings as we stumble around, making a mess of things, and just trying to get through life. This God, this God's just kind of viewing us from on high. He's not really affected by the happenings of human history. Now, this idea stretches all the way back to ancient Greece. In Hellenistic philosophy, God was depicted as the unmoved mover. They thought of God as absolute perfection. So if God were to feel or change, well, then he would be less than perfect. And with this God, you can pray. You can beg, you can bargain, you can plead, you can try to appease this God. And maybe if he was already going to do it, some crumbs of help may fall down from on high. But the odds of him being too bothered are not that great. But what makes us unique as Christians is that the great mystery we call God took on flesh and bones and became fully human in the person of Jesus. And if we want to find God, if we want to know what God is like, we look to him. Now, Bible scholars point out that the author of Luke was writing to an audience that would have had a very Hellenistic worldview. He's communicating to a group of people who would understand the idea of God being moved 
by human suffering, this would be a sign of weakness. And for Luke's audience, it would seem a bit ridiculous for God, the creator of the universe, to get all emotionally caught up in this woman's suffering. But the writer tells us that when Jesus saw this woman, he was overcome with compassion for her. This story gives us a different picture of God. This is the God of compassion. The word compassion means to suffer with. And I want you to really hold on to this. Jesus enters into this woman's pain. Jesus feels the full force of her anguish. This is not a God who's up on high looking down. This is a God who is with us, a God who is suffering with us. And when we look to these stories of Jesus, of his life, of his teaching, of his crucifixion, we find a God who's taken on every last bit of the human experience, the entire spectrum, including suffering and tragedy, even death. The God we find revealed in Jesus is not detached. He's not aloof from the world, and it didn't matter who they were. Strangers, friends, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, children, prostitutes, lepers, tax collectors, slaves, widows, sinners, and saints— believers, and skeptics. Jesus was present with all of them, revealing God to them in a way they could have never imagined. Revealing a God who does suffer here and now. A God who hears those who cry and joins in that cry. Now, the researcher Brene Brown, who wrote the book that we're going to do a study on next month, She says that our first response to pain, whether it's ours or someone else's, is to self-protect. And we do this by looking for someone or something to blame, or sometimes we shield ourselves by turning to judgment, or we immediately just go into fix-it mode. And as I was reading her work, I got to thinking about some of the things I've heard myself say, and heard other people say when they encounter someone who's suffering. So one example, maybe you've heard this one, God will never give you more than you can handle. Which might sound inspirational at first until you think, wait, wait, you're saying God gave this to me? And what if I can't handle it? What does this say to the increase in teen suicides in our country right now? Or, here's, here's another favorite, maybe God needed to get our attention. Or maybe God did this for a reason. Try saying that to a woman in an abusive relationship or to a parent who's just lost their child. Uh, don't worry, God's in charge. Okay, I will try not to worry about children being sold into sex slavery because God's in charge of that. Oh, this is the worst one. Okay. Picture saying this to someone who's suffering. When I think of your situation, 
I am reminded of how blessed I am. People going through tragedy are not illustrations of how much God is blessing you. And then I just, I can't help but think of the Sermon on the Mount where God, Jesus, calls those who are suffering blessed. It just, it doesn't work here. And my personal favorite, well, if you just had more faith. I can remember going through a very difficult time and someone saying that to me, and I'm thinking, wow, I already have this that I'm going through, and now I get to have the integrity and the sincerity of my faith questioned. This is great. You know, we could debate if there's some truth in some of these statements, but that's not the point. The point is, these statements do not reflect entering in to someone else's suffering. No matter how well-intentioned these statements might be, these are not responses of compassion. Because when we instead practice compassion, we are courageous. We are moving toward the very thing that scares us. When we practice compassion, we have to draw from our own experiences. We have to reach back into our own stories of suffering, of loss, of disappointment, And it's through those experiences that we can stand with others as they walk through their own suffering. You know, it's, I think it's so easy for us as people of faith to get all caught up in these stories of Jesus and the miraculous. But how much suffering do you think Jesus endured during his lifetime? How many funerals do you think he went to? What was it like for him when he went to bury his own earthly father, Joseph, what kind of prayers of anguish and grief do you think he cried out to God as he watched his own mother become a widow? And then the pain of seeing your Jewish brothers and sisters suffer under the oppression of this foreign empire? And how do we ever forget Jesus' prayer in the garden the night before he was betrayed by his own people and tortured and crucified by the Roman Empire? Guys, this is exactly why we must own our own stories. We must speak our stories, especially the ones that did not turn out the way we hoped, because it's from these places that we join with others and what they are facing. The theologian N.T. Wright has this great line. He says that we become what we worship. And I come back to it a lot and think, what kind of God am I reflecting? Do you find yourself trying to be a superhero and you only see God in the spectacular Or do you find yourself growing distant and detached and unmoved? Find yourself assuming, well, it just must be the will of God. Or maybe we just explain it away or place blame. Or do you find yourself becoming more like the God we see revealed in Jesus, the God who walks the way of compassion? What image of God are you reflecting? 
There's this fascinating study that was done in the 70s by two psychologists. They took a group of seminary students, and they told these students, we want you to preach a sermon at this time and at this place. So all the students show up. They're ready to preach their sermon. But then they're told, oh, wait, we need to send you to a different location. So at this point, the seminarians were split up into three groups. So the first group, we'll call this the high hurry group. These guys were told, you need to get to this new location as quick as possible. The second group, they had a moderate amount of time to get to their location. And then the last group, we'll call them the low hurry group. They were told, you can take your time. So after this hurry manipulation, the students were pointed to the exit. Now, here's where things get really interesting. These two psychologists have a guy in an alleyway, and they said, hey, we want you to slump down on the ground, bend over, and we just want you to close your eyes and groan really loudly as the seminarians walk by. And these two psychologists were watching to see, would they stop and offer this man help? Would they even check on him? Would they show him compassion? Does this sound at all familiar? Yeah. Yeah, they they just set up the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is my favorite part. Half of the students were even assigned to preach their sermon on the Good Samaritan. Yeah, they really knew what they were doing with this one. The other half was given just a a non-helping sermon topic. So what the researchers found is that the sermon topic, this had no bearing on whether or not one of the seminary students stopped. What they found is the more time the student had, the, the more likelihood that they would stop. In the low hurry group, only 63% checked on this guy. In the high hurry group, only 10%. And this, is, uh, this part hurts, but I'm going to tell you. Some of the students in the high hurry group literally stepped over this dude on the ground, on their way to give a sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Is it possible that we can become so distracted with trying to be Christians that we somehow miss following Jesus? Guys, we all, we all showed up to a church building on a Sunday morning, so I'm going to assume... We all came here looking to experience God. And man, I believe we do. When we, when we come here and, and we're just together and we sing and we pray and we take communion and we open the scriptures, I believe we encounter the divine. But when I think about my life, the most profound experiences of God have been in times of compassion. It's been when people have come alongside me and stayed with me as I walk through my pain and my questions. And when I'm suffering, what I have found I need more than answers to really impossible questions is just companionship and solidarity. The love of God has reached to me through people who did more than just offer to pray for me, which is great, but it's been the people who showed up physically, emotionally, and practically. 
And then on the flip side of that, man, have I experienced God when I've chosen to practice compassion. I may not be able to solve giant problems in the world. I may not be able to answer these difficult questions as to why we have to walk through things that just rip our hearts out. But I can choose to listen deeply to someone who was in pain without trying to explain or correct them. And I can cry with others, and I can identify as best as I can with what they're experiencing, and I can cook some food. I can fold some laundry. I can share my resources. We can get creative. And, and I'll just say, when, when I sit and think about just the suffering in this room of stories I know, much less the suffering that I'm aware of in the world, I do become overwhelmed. Uh, when, when I let myself think about it, I just feel like I'm drowning, and I start to just pull away and retreat. But when, when did we buy this idea that being a Christian was about escaping? Pretty sure it was Jesus who said something about taking up our own crosses and following him in the way he lived his life. And sometimes uh, when people encounter great suffering, I'll, I'll hear them say, well, you know, I just, I pray that Jesus comes back soon. And I get that. I do. I, I, I will join in that prayer. But here's the deal, guys. Jesus is here. He is present in me, and the Spirit of God is present in you. And, oh, is he present when we are all together. So, Instead of asking God, why aren't you doing anything about this? I am really trying to begin asking God, what do you want to do through me about this? What do you want to do through all of us as a community? God's favorite way of moving has always been incarnational. He's always been looking for bodies. He's always been inviting normal messy, regular people to partner up with. This is just how he does business. And as people who desire to live after Jesus, as people who have said yes to God's invitation to collaborate in the healing of the world, we are the body of Christ here on earth. May we learn to practice compassion. May we open ourselves up fully to the Spirit of God and see what is possible when we allow God to be present in us and through us. I'm just, I'm just going to close by praying. If you'll join with me. Good Father, I know that I know there's a lot of suffering just in this room, God. God, will you open our hearts to listen to each other with compassion? May we be a community of people that listens and that holds space and that walks with each other. 
God, I just ask that uh, you will place in each of our hearts today an awareness. God, perhaps there are people we all know who are suffering that you want to move through us to reach. I'm just going to make space for that for a minute. God, would you please, Holy Spirit, lay people on our hearts that you would like to love through us. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing in the world and help us to jump in. Help us to experience you in your work, your work of love, God. Amen.